If you want to open with me to 1 Timothy, and for some of us, we're really excited today, for some of us, super sad that this is the final message in our series, The Church Defined. So I don't know if you got an amen or an awe, all right, so you get, you get to choose, but uh, we have, over the past weeks, been in a series covering 1 Timothy, such a, a powerful series in the life of our church as we get absolute clarity. What did God design? What did Jesus have in mind? As he said, I will build my church and that he will build it his way and we want to follow his plan, his blueprint. And so we've been covering everything from what is the message and clarifying the gospel all the way to uh, what are the members of the church, uh, who are they, what are they to be doing, and then the ministry as the whole body actively engages on the mission of making disciples. And as we wrap up here, we're going to be looking at that it is not going to be a casual thing. It's not going to be a comfortable ride. There's imagery of soldiers and fighting here. And so we are going to get a little bit intense. Uh, This Christian life and us being a church that is passionate about the mission, uh, this is going to cost us. It's going to be costly. It's going to be costly. This is going to mean sacrifice. And so we wanted to dive right in before Paul is saying to fight, but the title of the message today is fight the right fight. Fight the right fight. We, we're, we're all fighters at heart. Either we run from the fight and that's our way of dealing with it or we run towards the fight. We all are fighters, but are we fighting the right fight? Are we in the right battle? Are we attacking the right opponent? Have we identified where we are to pour our time and energy. And Paul has some words for Timothy, and he is speaking right to us. Number one, fight the good fight of faith since Jesus is your king. Since Jesus is your king. Again, the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, his protege, Timothy, young Timothy, taking over the church. Paul here is, is going to be emphasizing how he is to live, but this carries over into every believer's life. That if Jesus is your rescuer, your savior, if he has forgiven you, he's also your king. He's also the boss of your life. He's the one that lays down the rules and that we follow. We say yes. So here we go. Verse 11. But as for you, everybody say but, 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 but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Should we clarify? I don't know if you were, if everybody was here last week, but we just got done with the first part of chapter 6, and he walked through, uh, Timothy, be careful that the, the love of money, it's not money, money's not the problem. Everybody say, money's not the problem. It, it, it's, not, it's not money that the problem is. It, it's my heart goes after, and I'm willing to sin to get. He says, be careful, be careful. There are many that are going that way, and they're choosing their comfort and their ease in this life over obedience to Jesus. He's like, be careful of that. Don't go down that path. And he also talks about that there are, there are false teachings once again and that there are, there's confusion about what the truth is. Don't, don't give in to these things. So he says, but as for you, he's like, it's clear of those that are straying and wandering. But he says, Timothy, Timothy, this is a big deal. You're a man of God. That's your identity. I don't, I don't know if you've been reminded recently, but if you're a Christian, you are a man or a woman of God. That's who you are. No matter who you've been, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you are a child of God. You are a man or a woman of God. Above all, you have a new identity. And Paul's saying, 
It doesn't matter about the old. This is what is true about you. You are a man of God. And he doesn't just say, you're a man of God. He says, oh. Everybody say, oh. Oh. Uh, There's a little bit of emphasis there of like, this is a huge deal. You, you men of God, this is what you need to do. He says, flee these things. Flee. So what are the things? Flee from worldliness. Flee from the lies of Satan. Flee from the temptation. Flee from making your home here. Flee from believing anything that people say. Run away. Flee. He doesn't say, uh, just pause and think about it. This is really strong language that he's saying, uh, if anything is coming at you, it's not of God. And anything in the world that is tempting you, uh, don't play with it. Don't toy with it. Run for your life. This is pretty, it's pretty strong language. Saying, don't even get close to it. If you get close, you're going to get burnt. If you get close, you're going to get trapped. Don't even consider it. You need to be running in the opposite direction, Timothy. And think about that. Timothy is the pastor now of the church in Ephesus. And Paul's like, you need to hear this, right? This is, this is instruction to a pastor. If pastors need encouragement of run for your life, flee, the, the whole church, the message is, we are all prone, right? We are all easily tempted. He's like, run, run. Timothy was commanded to be different from those living a certain way. He was to flee the arrogant debating. He was to run away from pursuit of just accumulating goods as so many were. And we left off last time with because many, in the, it's talking about in the church, because many in the church were pursuing the pleasures of this world, accumulating goods, they left the faith. They said, forget you, God, I'm going to do it my way. They started, they didn't finish. Everybody say that's a problem. This is, this is serious. Ephesians 4.12, I just jotted this down if you want to jot that address down. Ephesians 4.12, for our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against who? Rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. When you said yes to Jesus, you became a target of Satan. He is after you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? Every single day that we say, Jesus, you are king, Satan says, uh, okay, you think so? You think you're going to follow that guy? Well, I, I got something coming your way that's going to make you question him, his goodness, his faithfulness to you, to question whether he really has your best interests in mind, whether, whether you really think that this thing is worth it to follow him. The struggle is not with people. And how often do we make it about, well, the struggle's about that person and the conflict is about the personality or the situation. And the reality is there is Satan behind every situation, but behind every lie, behind every conflict. This is not about us. This is about what's happening in a realm that we do not see. And obviously our culture makes a huge point of making sure we don't think about what's really going on in the spiritual realm. So he says, run for your life, flee. And then he says this. He's like, don't just run away, okay? Don't just run away, but he says, pursue. Everybody say, pursue. Do you see that there? Halfway through verse 11, pursue righteousness. In other words, put off this old way, right? Run away from the old ways of thinking and interacting and old relationships and put on something different. Pursue this. This is where life is found. Pursue Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Verse 12, 
Fight the good fight of faith. He's saying, if you're going to fight this battle, it looks a lot like putting off old worldly ways and a lot of pursuing God wholeheartedly, full worship, my mind, my heart, my will, everything for him. This is the battle. This is the battle. This is the fight. Going God's way against the current of the world's raging river in a war. And guess what we're doing as Christians? We're heading upstream. We're heading against the current. I, I, I don't know if you've gone through a season where you're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I'm trying to run away from the stuff that keeps pulling me back. I'm trying to pursue the goodness. I'm trying to pursue God. And it seems like every time I, we got New Year's resolutions coming up, every time I try to make a commitment, every time I say, I'm getting serious this time, what happens? All Hades breaks loose, right? Every temptation, everything that could go wrong does. And when we say, I want to pursue you, God, I want to pursue you wholeheartedly, going upstream, it feels often like I'm supposed to be a soldier in this army, I'm supposed to be in this war, and I, I got my, my rifle over my head, I'm up to my chest in whitewater rapids, and I'm going upstream, and guess what I see all around me everywhere I go? Why is everybody in tubes and bikinis with coolers and cold beer floating downstream? And here I am fighting for my life to do what's right in the midst of temptation. And everyone's like, just relax. Don't take this thing so serious. Like, just join us. Come on. It's like, no, I'm on a, I'm on a mission. I'm going a different direction. And it, man, the party, the party is over here. This is the life. This is the future. This is the comfort. This is what is going to make you happy. And the thing that we know deep down is there's a waterfall at the end of that lazy river, and we've been rescued from it, not to go along with it, but to go against, even if we're the only ones. Why isn't anybody else doing this? Why isn't anybody else taking this serious? Why isn't anybody pursuing these things? What does he say? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight, fight, fight. This life is a fight. This Christian life, it's a fight. It's a fight. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. This is a, this is a battle. If you're not experiencing war fatigue, if you don't have scars, are, are you in the war? Are you fighting? Are you going after it? I just I wanted to be incredibly practical. So, so here we go. Let's break down some of these, these words. I think you have in your outline, your fight starts with your focus. It starts with, what are you focused on? Fight for what lasts forever because nobody's doing this. Nobody around you is probably encouraging you much to do this. And really, we could boil down these six words to kind of three categories. If you're taking notes, just jot down number one, upward, an upward focus. We could, we could really look at these two words of righteousness and, and godliness, righteous, godly. It's, God, you have my heart. I'm surrendered to you. I'm going to do whatever, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what it costs me. You bought me. My, my heart's yours. And because my heart belongs to you, God, there's an expression of an upward affection and a desire to live for what lasts forever. So when the heart changes, the behavior changes. If my heart's in love with Jesus, it's going to show up and like, man, you talk differently. Your tone's different. You, you relate to people differently. You, you respond to situations so differently because your heart's changed. Your lifestyle is changing. Here we have these two words, righteousness. I just, I'm going after God. Righteousness, doing what is right from the heart. And then all of a sudden, the life changes. Godliness, godliness. How about this? It goes from 
from upward, this upward pursuit, to now these next two words really look at inward, inward, faith and faith and love. Help my unbelief, God. Wherever faith is not growing, but it's withering, God, change that. Make me believe. Make my heart believe that you are good, that your promises are true. And God, if I'm called to love you in this upward godliness and righteousness is being pursued what's the overflow matthew 22 here's the main thing love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might with all your strength and the second it's the same it's just like it right love your neighbor as yourself who is your neighbor who's your neighbor well we could look around and say what does love look like and it's got to start here it's got to start with we love each other well we do it on on purpose right we love and we believe. I, I, I love that faith and love are combined here. I'm, I'm loving, but it comes from a place of faith. I trust. I trust. I trust God, and I'm choosing to trust my brothers and sisters. Faith, love. Is that growing? The upward and then the, the inward. Here's a, the last part we could say. Obviously, the, the outward focus is long-term. My gaze is not on my problems right in front of me. I'm not looking at just the issue, right? The problem. God, where are you? What's, what I'm going through right now? God, why are you letting this happen? And instead, it's this. He brings these two words in, which I think is so, so awesome. Steadfastness and gentleness. Steadfast. Gentle. Do you know what these two words are all about? All about relationship. All about relationship. Turn to your neighbor and say it's all about relationship. This upward life of from the heart pursuing God, this inner life of faith and love welling up inside, it must lead to steadfast and, and what? Steadfastness, first of all, being enduring with difficult people, difficult situations, difficult problems, and then gentleness, not harsh. Why do you think these two words are put together? It's interesting. Because what do you and I naturally do? What do we do? It's getting hard. It's getting difficult. My response is not steadfast. My response is, I quit. I don't deserve this and I'm done. And God is saying, man of God, woman of God, that's what the world does. Steadfastness is, I'm committed. I'm not giving up. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I'm here. I'm going nowhere. I'm continuing on. And then the next word is gentleness for a reason. Because if I'm going to stay, the temptation is, fine, I'll stay. But you're going to hear me, right? You're going to hear what I have to say. Harshness, gone. That's the, that's the old way. That's the old way. So gentle perseverance. Gentle perseverance. Gentle perseverance. That's what God's people do. That's what the church does. And guess what's happening all around us? We have every example every day of the exact opposite of this because that's what Satan loves to do is get everybody to quit, get everybody to run, get everybody to hide, get everybody to attack, get everybody on the defense. And Paul's saying, Timothy, if, we, if you get this and the church is built upon this, this upward focus, this inward focus, this outward focus, man, this changes everything. But he says it's a war, it's a battle, it's a, it's a fight. What does he say next? He says, Take hold, take hold. Uh, can you do this for me? He's saying grab hold of, everybody lift up your, your fist, okay? You're not going to shake your fist, but you're going to do something, you're going to do something with me. Squeeze your fist as hard as you can, all right? Ten seconds, nine, 
Hard, eight. Come on, harder, seven. More, uh, nails digging in, six, five, four. Come on, you sweating yet? Three, two, one, let go. Do you feel the difference between a relaxed hand and the tension of, I don't know how much longer I can hold this? The image that we have here is grab, hold, take hold, is to squeeze it until it, it hurts and that you're not going to release. What are we supposed to take hold of? Why such a vivid image of grabbing hold of something? He says this, take hold, Timothy, of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I love the two phrases here. We're grabbing hold of what? Grabbing hold of the God that drafted us into the war. He's the one that grabbed hold of us and we, we grab hold of him. It's not just temporary pleasures. It's not just temporary comfort. It's not just God is good when he pays my bills and comes through and heals me. It's I'm going to grab hold of my God and the eternal life he has given me because I am on his team. He is for me and I'm for him and I'm not letting go. Why would we need that encouragement? Because church, every single day we're like, I don't know if it's worth it. I feel my grip is slipping. I feel like I can't do much more. I can't hold on much longer. And he's saying, don't let go. Don't let go. God has you. Are you responding with God? I'm grabbing hold of the eternal life. that you, I want everything that you died to give me. I want you and nothing else. You alone. I'm squeezing tight. And God, there's nowhere else to run. There's no hope anywhere else. There's no solutions to my problems anywhere but you. And I'm grabbing hold and I'm not letting go. I don't, know, I don't know if you're in a season. I don't know where you are this morning of I feel like I'm losing my grip. I feel like there was a season where, man, I'm feeling God having a hold of me, right? And, and that he's walking with me. And, and I felt like there was maybe seasons where I'm like, God, I'm grabbing hold because I need you. And beautiful seasons of dependence on God. Of God, you're, you are my hope. You are my joy. You are the one that I live for. But maybe for some of us, that's, that's in the rear view mirror. That's way back where, man, I used to, and I used to feel like he had me, but now I'm in a season that I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sensing, and, and I'm getting tired of, he says, take hold, take hold of this. Verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Amen? Praise God for that. God, you're the life giver. You're the life giver. There's no life apart from you. And of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I thought this is interesting. I'm like, Paul, where, where, are you, where are you coming from? So I jotted a few things down. He mentions Jesus' confession because he's saying, Jesus made a confession of the truth about who he was first and continued to follow in the footsteps saying the same thing that Jesus said about himself. So what was Jesus' testimony before Pontius Pilate? Is anybody, I don't know if you've read that, if you've considered Maybe during Passion Week and we, and we think about the, the path to the cross and we think about Good Friday that he stood before Pontius Pilate, the, the head honcho, right? He stood before the ruler of the land. What did, he, what did he say? Well, if you want to jot a couple addresses down, Matthew 27, 11, Matthew 27, 11, Jesus admitted the truth about himself. He agreed with Pilate's statement. He said, are you, are you the king of the Jews? Well, you said, you said it. You said it. He, he agreed at that point, Matthew 27, 11, he also, John 19, 11, Jesus testified to Pilate about the sovereignty of God and said, Pilate, you couldn't have any power. You have nothing at all against me unless it's been given 
to you from, from above. <laughs> Excuse me? Do you, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And Jesus was saying, do you know who I am? Everything you have comes from above, and that's where I came from. For Christ made his confession before Pilate, not in a lot of words, but he confessed, volunteered, that he knew when he made that confession of who he was, that he was God, that he had all power. He knew that was his death sentence. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is addressing the fact that, do you remember that Jesus was so bold in the face of death to say, this is who I am? He's saying, Timothy, follow in his footsteps. He spoke up about who he was, and it killed him. If you are following him to the very end, even if it costs you your life, you don't deny him. You speak up. You confess who Jesus is and continue to do this all the way to the end. You confessed at the start. Are you going to confess all the way to the very last hours of your life? So Timothy was told, you've got to live up to this confession that you made. You've got to keep living it no matter how hard it gets. He was simply told to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display. He'll display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Verse 16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. He's saying, Timothy, you have one message for your whole life to preach, and that's Jesus is on his throne. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And guess what? No matter what you face, no matter all the ills and the evils and the darkness that is all around you, in the very end, what does he say? Uh, on that day, that he is coming back and he's going to return. And I don't know if you've been in the book of Revelation recently, but there is clear imagery and promises that no matter what's been done to you, no matter how bad you've been hurt and wronged, no matter how much a victim you have been throughout life, no matter what you have faced, no matter what suffering, no matter what loss, uh, the story's not over yet. So Paul gets charged up here and says, Jesus is coming back. The one that you serve, he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to make sure that every enemy uh, gets what he deserves. And everyone's going to bow the knee on that day. And the God that, that is inapproachable light, that if you would see him face to face, you would fall down dead. He's coming back and he's going to make all wrongs right. Amen? So I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know what you've been through and maybe walking in even this morning, where is the hope for the future? And it's not in what you can do to fix it, how you can try to make wrongs right, how you can try to get revenge or get back. And in many cases, Christians have a good way of, well, I, I'm not going to like say anything or do anything. And hopefully we remember, even in our hearts, as there's like vengeance and and wanting to get even, and wanting to make sure that other people suffer, and that wrongs have, are made right here and now, Timothy was reminded of this, the day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming. It's not your job. The day is coming. The king of kings, he is going to come back, and he's going to rule. He has all honor and power, dominion forever. Amen, amen, amen. Number two, if you're taking notes, he wraps up with this, an interesting transition. All right, Paul, where are you going? He says, seek first God's riches, not the world's wealth. Here's the summary of 17 through 21. He's saying, turn away from the world. Turn 
to God what he's offering. Verse 17, track with me. As for the rich in this present age, he said, charge them, challenge them, call them out, not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes. Don't set your hope. Don't set your confidence on the uncertainty of riches. But, everybody say but, but here it is. Turn away from that. Repent. Turn away and do this. Place your hope on God. Put your hope in God. I don't know if you've placed your hope in God and then that transition took place during that crisis and that, that crossroads of pain and hurt and disappointment where we set our hope on other things. But he, but he says this, place it on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God is a good God, a good Father that's giving good, good riches, heavenly riches, eternal riches, and in this lifetime, he's giving good things. What does he say in verse 18? They're to do good, to be rich in what? Not, not earthly resources, finances, in good works, to do what's right, to be generous, be generous, be ready to share. Is that you? I mean, just as we read through this, does that describe you? Love to do good. I want to be rich in good works. Is your life marked by generosity, ready to to share, because he says, this is the new way. Verse 19, if you live this way, you're storing up treasure where? He says, good foundation for the future in heaven. He says, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Everybody say, truly life. Truly life, real life. The real thing is found in, I'm living for eternity. I'm living for the future. I'm not living for here and now. And for some of us, it may not be an issue of, I have a lot, but I, I, I don't know if you realize this. Some of the most stingy, the most hoarding, the most envious, many times have absolutely nothing. Sometimes the poorest among us are the most entitled, expectant, and demanding that what comes from riches what comes from finances what comes from comforts is going to bring pleasure and guess what sometimes it's i don't have it but i must have it i don't have it now but someday god if you're good give it to me and we have lived in a third world country where many of the people that we were able to minister to lived an entire life of i will be happy when i get it i will be happy when i turn a corner i'll be happy when i finally get my visa, when I finally get to the States, when I get to Canada, when I get to England, when I get out of this hellhole, I will finally be happy. When I get rid of all of this poverty and this history and the generational depression and I get to a place where I can have and I can work and I can gain, when I get the stuff, the stuff is going to make me happy. And you can sit in a mud hut and be the most ungenerous, demanding thinking about money every single day and not have anything to show for it. So it doesn't matter if you have a lot. It doesn't matter if you have a little. It goes back to what? What's going on in my heart is I'm either screaming, God, be my hope. Come through for me. God, meet my needs today. Do what's right in your eyes. I surrender to you. Or every day is, well, when that happens, I hope. I, I hope I'll be happy when I get. And my hope is set on when I finally get to and it's never enough, and it's never enough, it's never enough. And Paul keeps bringing this subject up over and over again. True life is not found in that. It's not found in that. Verse 20, here he ends with, oh, Timothy. Everybody say, oh, oh. 
Oh, Timothy, I mean, this is Paul concluding the letter and his heart is breaking. Timothy, Timothy, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. You've been given the gospel. You've been given so much. Guard it, protect it. You're a steward. You're going to give an account for this. Spread the word. Spread the good news. Live for the sake of others, not for yourself. And he wraps up with this. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. And so many people think they have the right way and they, they know things that others don't within the church. And he's saying, don't, don't get caught up in the, the conflict and the debate. And he's saying, humble yourself. Because he says, those that are either living for the world's riches or those that think that they know better than everybody else. He says, verse 21, professing it, some have swerved from the faith. There's so much at stake of an unguarded life. A life that is lived horizontally and not vertically. And over and over again in this letter, Paul keeps bringing us back to so many people have walked away from the faith. They started off good. They, they prayed the prayer. They walked the aisle. They got dunked. They, they went to church for a while, and then they're done. They're done. They, they walk away. They swerve off the road. And I don't know the last time that you swerved hard off the road and it ended up well. He's talking about like crashing and burning. He said, this is, this is serious. This is serious. And he finishes with something that hopefully all of us will appreciate. In the Greek, it says grace or, or charis, be with all y'all. All right? So I don't know if you want to take a, take a pen and mark it in your Bible here. Grace be with you is in the plural plural. So, so here we can say, did you know that in the Bible it actually says all y'all? Yeah, it's right there. It's in, you just got to know the, the Greek all y'all. All right? So there it is. He lands the plane. Everybody say land the plane. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, church, as we go through this, this journey of 1 Timothy and the places that we've, that we've been. But when the letter is over and the messages wrap up, isn't this just the beginning of now it's time to live it, right? It's one thing to, to hear it, to take it in, to ponder it, to consider it. It's another thing to say, God, this is, this is your blueprint. This is your will for us as a church. And we say yes. We say yes to what God wants. So as you stand, I just want us to, to ask a couple questions as we close. I think you have these in your, in your outline, in your handout, but just three questions. What actions, what focus do you need to pursue in order to draw closer to Jesus today? Second, how will you fight the right fight this next week? And how will you worship and follow Jesus as your king no matter what comes next?